Thunderbrunt. Blockbusters, the show that treats the final edit of a movie like the script. I'm Bob Rose, and the other two guys are going to introduce themselves right now. I am Jimmy George. I am a screenwriter and script consultant. My Twitter handle is at Jimmy R. George. I am Jamie Nash, and I am a screenwriter and the writer or author, I guess is the word, <laughs> of Save the Cat Writes for TV, now available at Amazon. <laughs> My Twitter handle is at Jamie underscore Nash. And my Twitter handle is very appropriately at Thundergrunt Bob. Mm-hmm. Uh, today, we are going to do kind of a the second half of a two-parter episode series that we never have done before. Uh, a lot of firsts. We're going to talk about Candyman 2012, 2021, 2012. <laughs> Jesus, Bob. 2021. <laughs> or, at, or Candyman 2, as Jamie so lovingly put in the in the documents file. When I saw it, I was like, oh, we're doing shit. I watched the wrong movie. Yeah, we didn't watch Farewell to the Flesh. <laughs> oh, we're, we weren't? Yeah. <laughs> Damn it. Bill, um, Bill Condon's best movie ever. That's, the that's such a weird thing, too, isn't it? Bill Condon. Yeah, very. Um, yeah, so, yeah, if you are just tuning in for the first time, we actually did Candyman 1991 uh, or 1992, yeah. the episode before this. So we've never done, like, the original and the reboot in succession before. So if you want to check that out, it's available. Yeah, comparing um, the two. Comparing the two. We have done. We did Speed 1 and 2 in one episode once, <laughs> but this was new to give both movies their entire episodes, yeah. uh, one after another. But uh, first, let's talk about the choice to do this movie. (laughs) (laughs) Because I think all three of us want to note the fact that since you can't see us, we're all white guys. Yeah. Privileged white dudes. Privileged white dudes. We're all acknowledging it. And we're going to talk about a movie that maybe we might miss a few things. (laughs) <laughs> yes such yes because of our experience our life experience yeah yeah um like we have we even talked to each other before we started recording and i think i'm the one who said if we saw this prior i might have said we probably shouldn't do it <laughs> but it's too late now because this We're is committed the time- <laughs> yeah we have a rescheduled recording time, and this was the movie we all watched we're so doing we're, it we're doing it and we'll do our best to do it justice we're, yeah uh interesting choice of words there oh yeah yeah (laughs) right dual meaning but yeah i think we just all wanted to call attention to the fact that yes we might be dense on a few things because the movie might be saying something we don't even understand Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. i think that might even be true for the last episode yeah yeah (laughs) well at at least that one was uh it was kind of the white pov on this Mm -hmm. world yeah but was a director and the and the lead was this fish out of water character yeah. going into a place so this this one spins it back to where um 
you know, to, to a different POV. And, uh, and that's really what brings the freshness to it. Mm-hmm. Agreed. As yes. opposed to farewell to flesh. Mm. <laughs> Which or day, very day of the dead, I think is the third one. Right. 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 Um, yeah. So we don't have, we don't have the white guy director holding our hands through this one. <laughs> <laughs> and it shouldn't be right. It shouldn't. No, be. not at yeah. all. Um, but also let's also talk about how we all responded to it just in general, like before we get into the script. Okay, I'll go first. Go for it. Uh, I, first time I watched it, um, I was having problems getting into it because of the mechanics of the story that we'll get into as far as, uh, you know, our standard cheeseburger goal, stakes, obstacles, those things, hero with a problem that needs fixing those various things. Um, it's not a dangerous end game. But I felt it. Right. I was yeah. feeling it. And um, ultimately, I left it. It, it, it I, I really the first time I, I loved the third act, whereas I had seen lots of criticisms of that being the thing that kind of like made people not like it. For me, I loved the third act. And I love what the movie is trying to do. And I watched it again and it did grow on me. There's like a meta moment where uh anthony says to the to the art critic to the snooty white art critic i i i'm really surprised at how you're responding to my piece now so positively and she says well it grew on me and i was like god i'm the snooty white art critic who's now responding well to this movie the second time (laughs) so the second time around i pulled a lot of things out and i i i responded more to some of the stuff it was trying to do but uh yeah that's that's pretty much my my thoughts on it cool cool jamie yeah i i i think i had well i here's the thing i actually liked it It, i liked it for different reasons than i thought i thought i was i thought it was going to come more for the depth and the and the seriousness and get a real intellectual sort of experience i actually think it plays more like a legacy reboot kind of like um uh, like Phantom Menace, or not Phantom Menace, I'm sorry. <laughs> Force, Awa- Force Awakens. Force Awakens. I can't believe this is a Phantom Menace. Uh, I think it plays like Force Awakens or something, where it takes a lot of the things we liked about the original. It almost replays them beat for beat early on, I think, in a different way, for a modernized way. And then it it kind of leans into those things for new twists and turns to kind of you know, truly be a sequel. But I, mm-hmm. I kind of appreciate it. I think it used some of the things from the original in a really smart way. I liked, I liked uh, how the mother reappeared from the original. And I yeah. liked how Virginia Madsen's voice was on the tape recorder, even though I was half wondering who leaves the tape recorder in the library all the They keep it. Like, here's the tape recorder. We have it in our library. I was like, what? That's the thing. That's that's just mumbo jumbo there. You know? I'm gonna go to my library and, and try to find those Blair Witch kids. <laughs> Maybe they have it in the uh, Perkinsville Library. Everything's um, being recorded and it always sounds great. But <laughs> but I, I, I like the way it played that, but to me it almost felt like I mean, in the bad version of this, it's like the poltergeist reboot, right? Mm-hmm. Where where it plays replays it beat for beat, and they actually fix some things, but in fixing some things, it loses some of the weird charm that the original had. And I think this one's like that, but I think Nia DaCosta really, I like some of her visuals, some of her like 
almost like Argentino spin on, on some of the, you know, things like the drone shot and the kill and the, some of the weird, I, I thought some of the visuals really entertained me. And here's one other thing I'll give to her. I, I honestly think, you know, she's got a, you know, obviously a huge commercial future. Cause one of the things I really liked about this 90 minutes long, and it felt like it should be 90 minutes and it moved for that reason. Maybe some of those uh, slowdowns that I found in the original, if you go back in the last podcast, the late lock-ins, all that stuff, I thought they didn't bother me as much because it moved so fast. Mm-hmm. So that was my take on it. Yeah. And uh, I got to say, I'm, I'm somewhere on amalgam of both of you. I, I really like this movie and I, I watched it twice Um I found it, I kind of think I said to you guys, uh, I found it to be something I knew I was going to like, but I don't know if I would use it as a teaching thing, but that usually doesn't matter to me. That doesn't register to my brain. That's my role in this podcast, isn't it? Sort of uh, <laughs> to be yeah. that guy. So, yeah, no, I found it. I found it, oh, number one, really beautiful, as Jamie was saying. Um, she absolutely has a pretty big future ahead, hopefully, because it's just a really well executed movie um but i found it really clever and also jamie jamie stole my thing where he said the force awakens uh because i was like yeah because by the time i got to the end i was like this is sort of the force awakens because it's redoing the first movie with literally the same character and it's sort of also finishing what that movie didn't Mm -hmm. it's a very interesting smart way back in and i i really enjoyed watching it you know and i'm really excited for captain marvel 2 now yeah me too and i found out she was doing that yeah 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 so um i hope she has a huge uh future because you know the movie's just beautiful it really is it's really well made and it's got a lot of really interesting choices so well Uh, we're talking about the script about the script we're not talking which is uh yeah this is not a cinematography podcast it's not an acting <laughs> podcast that's uh, always the, that's always what's difficult it's like you yeah. can always find the things to heap praise on that have nothing to do with the writing um <laughs> right but uh i guess we're gonna ask our uh, bingo question jamie who wrote this dung um <laughs> it's not dung you know what i mean so Clyde Barker wrote no, it's Clyde nah. Barker. No, yeah. uh, Jordan Peele, Wynn Rosenfeld, and Nia DaCosta wrote the script. So the three of them tag teamed. The, the one weird person that maybe you don't know is Wynn Wynn Rosenfeld. Not that he's weird at all. He's done a lot of great stuff. So that's why I kind of wanted to point him out. Uh, he let me let me dig it up. I looked at it earlier because he like he worked on that show Hunters. He's worked on the Twilight Zone uh, reboot, the Jordan Peele one. Mm, okay. He's done a bunch of a bunch of stuff with Jordan Peele. It looks like uh, so. You know, he's Black Klansman. He was an executive producer of. I mean, all kinds of interesting um, things is he's known for. So he was somebody I looked up, and then I was like, wow, I I like this guy's this work. He's a writer, producer, and president of Monkey Paul. So oh, there you okay. Go. Okay. There you go. Jordan Jordan Peele's company, right? Jordan Peele's company. So that's yeah. why he's involved in all of those cool projects. Uh so yep, they were the writers. They were the three. I'm just they glad the... somebody with Rose in their name was once again involved. <laughs> Rose and Ted. Yeah, right. 
so yeah, it, as we were, as I was saying earlier, we have already talked in full about Candyman 1992, mm-hmm. um, and kind of the goal here, I think, to some some degree, is to compare the two, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. By by yeah. the way, one other the box office for this film. Oh know, yeah, the box office. I know idea. box office is kind of questionable. We've been doing it because COVID and all that. COVID yeah. And, yeah. But this one wasn't released to a streamer, so I guess it's valid to pay attention to. Uh, opening weekend, it made twenty two million, very respectable in the time of COVID, mm-hmm. and it's grossed so far fifty eight in the U.S. and seventy five worldwide. Okay, what's My, its budget? I don't think it doesn't have a budget on this IMDb. My gut says this one feels like it's a little more expensive. Yeah. It feels like they add more. Maybe it's just her visual design is so rich that mm-hmm. it feels it feels like they had a little bit more money. But a little bit I more think, yeah, money. I think that could be artistry over the budget. Yeah. It, yeah, I don't so most of these movies like this cost like 5 million. Like that's the get out budget. 5 million dollars. Mm-hmm. Uh I'm sure Jordan Peele got 20 for for us or something, you know, because it was a little <laughs> bit more 15 or 10 or whatever he got. This one, and this is just me watching a lot of movies. This one felt more like 10 than five, but it's more just because of the look, the lush look of it and stuff. So it, it could just be a director using all her talents and skills to make 5 million look like 10, or it could be they got like 10 or something for this movie. That's why you want fresh talent, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 She she definitely brought it, you know. It definitely yeah. brought it. Yep. As soon as the uh, opening credits hit, I was like, okay. Like <laughs> outside of the script and everything, it's just like, all right. Like I love the whole upside down city thing. Perfect, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, beautiful. Uh, yeah. Comparing this to the original one, um, there's a lot of little points here. It's <laughs> I think I feel like we've said a few of them already. <laughs> But yeah, the, the biggest one, of course, is the POV shift. Mm-hmm. I want There's a great article out there. I'll, I'll pull from a few quotes uh, where, where it's relevant. And right away, I'll pull from uh, it to talk about the POV shift in the in the two movies. You know, Jamie touched on it. First movie is about a white outsider to all of this. And uh, this there's an article in the Los Angeles Times called Candyman Explained. And it is an interview with uh, Nia DaCosta, Jordan Peele, and a bunch of other people involved in the movie that specifically they discuss their choices and why they chose to do the various things they did in the movie. And so she says, Nia DaCosta says, the biggest thing for me was to shift the point of view. The first movie is very much an outsider perspective from a white point of view. And this movie is from the black perspective and even more specifically from the perspective of Candyman. So that's, you know, dramatically different. And I mean, that's the big difference in the movies. Yeah. And it, it's one of these things that I think is instructive because when you, I, I mean, this one has obvious reasons. I think Jordan Peele's gone on record to be a big fan of Candyman before this. And yeah, no, he absolutely has. Yeah. So it, it makes total sense. But it's kind of that thing I always hint at people like when you're getting ready to work in a project, maybe do some free writing of how that particular pro even outside, you're not going to get to do Candyman 3 or something or <laughs> Freddy or whatever, but even your own project that you invent, if you do some free writing to say, you know, what are the themes that speak to me? How does this speak to me on a personal level? It's one of those first things you're supposed to pitch when you go into a pitch meeting, you're supposed to kind of say, and you could see where if if you pitched, if you were going to pitch for Candyman this this new Candyman movie. I keep wanting to call it Candyman too. Um, if you were going to pitch for it, 
you could see sitting down, you could see Jordan Peele slowly talking about what spoke to him about it and what he'd like to do with it and stuff like that to make it even more personal. And I think that's the kind of thing you want to dig into in your own projects. If you can find these these themes that reflect you, they're going to reflect modern times, modern people, everything else. So I think I think that's the you know it's it's amazing how just just doing that gives it a totally new freshness mm -hmm. and makes it feel new. Unlike like you know I kind of ragged on the Poltergeist reboot, which really has no new POV to offer, no new freshness. It's just hitting the same beats. But this, you do that one particular shift. And suddenly something old feels new again. It just feels mm -hmm. different. And it, there's a lot of room to play with. This is Candyman's movie. Mm -hmm. Right? I wouldn't I wouldn't say that about the 92. Not in the slightest. No, it's not. But this is Candyman's movie. Right. It's just it's completely different. Yeah. Here's a weird thing about it, though, and to do the comparison thing, mm -hmm. I, I felt Candyman's presence more in the last movie than I did here. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I think part of that is is that's this gothic kind of we talked about how that's almost like a Beauty and the Beast story. And you have his voice more and he's present and it's a love story and all that stuff. And here he really is more of a monster in the shadows when he when he's portrayed. He's really this kind of killing thing. I do mean, you, yeah. Do you also think that part of that, I, I felt the same thing, and I think part of that could also be um, the context, the franchise context of this. Yes, I, where, no, I, agree. I agree. Look, I'm 39. In my brain, Candyman is one human being, and he has a singular voice. <laughs> it's Tony Todd. Him not being in throughout the movie, it makes it even feel more absent than it normally would. Yep. You know? Mm -hmm. I, uh, I don't think it's unintentional. I'm not. It's saying not. That. I'm not. I, no, it might be intentional. I'm, I'm saying. I'm just saying feeling. it's different. Yeah, it's different. It's different. It's not bad. I'm just saying that it. He feels like a lesser presence, even though everything is about him. Yeah. yeah. Because I'm like, where's Candyman the whole time in my brain? The feeling of Candyman comes from Tony Todd to me. You know. Yeah, and I, I think, I, I, I think between that and Cabrini Green not being there anymore, yeah, which was a major major you know thing like just that they shot there and the colors of it and the people totally, and yeah. everything else um that that also was the big the big thing that felt different about this one I, th that was the only part i didn't really miss Candyman not being there as much because they were going for a different thing and i bought into it i did miss a little bit of the location aspect of it like i almost uh, you know it makes it sense. Was, well it was gone it's it gone, gone. It's gone. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing they could for, do about for it. For a reason. It's it's yeah. also for a reason. I mean, they. what I'm saying is, it's, I think story-wise, it, it's supposed to be going anyway, so it doesn't matter, right? Yeah. Like, it's I don't think they wish they had Cabrini Green to no, film No, that, no. They, they they talk about in that article of how, how uh, heavy it was for them to be touching on the horrors of gentrification and making a movie about that, and then to go to the location that they were hoping to use and for it to be gone and have a beautiful, fancy apartment high rise in its place where Jordan Peele talks about in this, in this, in that article of how in the new area where the original was shot on one street, you have white people walking their dogs and drink, sipping their Starbucks lattes. And on the next street over, you have people getting shot and killed and, um, and the two worlds are right on top of each other. And the, you know, the 
uh, white world is completely ignoring the struggles that are right in front of their face. So also, they, it was like, right, it's real. It's like, it's it's in the location they were trying to use. And also they were from like, like, wow. From like a writing lesson standpoint and from like an echoing the past standpoint, like Bernard Rose changed the original Clive Barker story to Cabrini Green, changed the character of Candyman because he found a location and he told the story of the location. Whereas you're saying that they went back to the old location and the actual real events of that location made them change this movie itself again. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, what if it wasn't gentrified? This movie might not be the what it is right now. Right, right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So in both cases, write what you see right. from real life. Take it. You know, you can you can steal from reality. It's OK, right? Right. <laughs> yeah. I think both cases, both movies have. Exactly. Yeah. It's it's sort of an improv yes end game, right? You know, right. You're, you're getting a suggestion, you yes end it, you keep going. So, uh, and it, how do we how do we feel as far as structure, pace? So Candyman's weird. The original is weird. Yeah. <laughs> so because I think this one sort of follows the beats of the original, sort of, right? right. It, yeah, yeah. It yeah. is it is a hero that has a project. He goes and investigates Candyman and slowly is drawn into whatever it is as uh, weird supernatural stuff starts to happen. The one thing I appreciated, like I said, it is more condensed. It is shorter. But they also, and I, I this is where I think it, they modernized it a little bit. I, and I do feel like it fits in the, in the Friday night, let's go see a movie genre as opposed to some kind of more esoteric straight to video for the horror fans only kind of movie. Right. I, I think they, it delivers uh, the kills in some ways, just as much as the original, maybe even a little more because mm. I, I think they, they start yeah. with the body horror. That's one of the things they added. So they, they gave it the body horror early where, whereas remember when we talked about the original, we kind of said that nothing really happened until the garage scene. Until the midpoint, 50 yeah. minutes. Now it's imagine incredible. if Virginia Madsen's character, if Helen was slowly turning into, you know, was slowly having the bee stings, body horror, how different that movie would have been. Right, yeah. right. So I think I think some of that stuff felt more modern. Mm -hmm. I, I appreciated it because I've seen the original and I don't need it to be structured slow and weird like that one was because I, I have that one. But this one felt the same, but then it felt different. And then even giving us the killings in the art museum that were obviously supernatural or the art show um, that were obviously supernatural very early in the movie, as opposed to the other movie that kind of the original that kind of hides the ball with. Uh, is she crazy? Know, is she crazy? Is it yeah. is it the gangster? Mm -hmm. Is the gangster Candyman the attack with the gangster? This movie really delivers stuff much, much earlier and keeps delivering all the way through, which is, again, why I was surprised. I was surprised how commercial it was. And I don't mean that in a bad way at all. It was a, my wife and I sat down and watched it. We're very entertained by the commercial thrills of it. The, also, the, what you just said, Jamie, like the mystery of the movie, the original, the mystery is, is she crazy? And the mystery of this is, why is this happening? Mm -hmm. you know, it, like, we know yeah. it's supernatural from the jump. There's no yeah you know there's no question yeah. it's not it's not is virginia madison nuts <laughs> it's it's <laughs> it's what's going I, I on we know Candyman's real right we've already yeah. seen three movies yeah we're, yeah we're already we're already down with that so yeah exactly um i wanted to ask you guys since mm -hmm. we're getting into structure conversation 
I think this brings up another interesting, what is the lock-in? Jamie, do you want to recap lock-in since Abs- people Ab- might be listening to this for the first time? Sure. Ab- absolutely. You know, I'll skin it a new way every time I mix it up a little bit. So Skin the cat. If you skin the cat, if you if you write a log line, the key to writing a good log line is to have a hero goal, obstacle, and stakes. And the hero goal, obstacle, stakes, your log line is really the hero, the goal, the obstacle, and the stakes that happen in the second act of your movie. Typically, it's the movie you came to watch. So Indiana Jones is looking for the Lost Ark. Uh, Luke Skywalker is taking because it, it's all about George Lucas. Luke Skywalker is taking the Death Star plans to the Rebels. <laughs> Whatever it is, that's usually the movie you came to watch. And it lock, the lock-in is when all of those elements kind of are known to the audience. The audience goes, okay, this hero is on this journey to do this thing or the horrible thing will happen if, if they fail. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's the lock-in moment. Mm-hmm. Um, this movie, where do you think it is? Well, there's some, I'm really not sure. And there's a, there's a couple reasons why. Well, for the first movie and the, and for yeah. comparison, the first yep. movie was 50 minutes. We decided yes. it was, the, it was essentially the garage or somewhere around that. Right. Yeah. Where she, yeah, yeah. she comes hit candy man comes face to face with her for the first time. And she, and she is all of a sudden aware that he's a real thing. Um, That's not by the book. It's not at all. So halfway into the movie. So you can imagine, because I'm saying the lock-in usually happens right before you go to act two or right at the beginning of it. Yeah, about 20, 25%-ish. And we've- 25, 30, somewhere there. 25 is good. Yeah, and we've talked about many movies that work that have a really late lock in. We can't. We got to do Rocky. About we, we keep talking about Rocky. And Rocky has Rocky. an hour long first act. Right. We never do Rocky. Um, but uh, so this one, I'll tell. I'll tell you where like the the easy one I think is, which is like you said, Jamie. It follows the beats of the first movie tradition. It, it, the first in in, in at forty eight minutes, mm-hmm. Candyman appears in his as his reflection and we've seen the body horror so we know what's going on but now the character is actually seeing like this is like his future right and every action he takes the candy man is mirroring that's 48 minutes and i think that you could easily point to that and say lock in but i wanted to ask you guys this we're gonna get later into like who who is the protagonist of this movie this taps into the character of Anthony's problem that needs fixing. And we're not really going to go into that much, but there is a clear problem that Anthony has. That is, he is like emotionally disconnected from the violence. He's presented as a man that's emotionally disconnected from the violence that his like ancestors and black people I say it like this. He's emotionally disconnected from the generational trauma. Yes, that yes. black people have experienced to, to the point that when this white art dealer who's paying him is pressuring him for what are you going to do next and like literally hitting him like kind of, you know, lightly punching him, which I thought was a nice touch um, saying tap into tap into your history, man. He's willing to like exploit the he's like, maybe I'll do something about the 
about the projects and Cabrini Green, but he's only doing it because he thinks there's like something sensationalized about it and that it'll sell. He's not doing it because it, it matters to him. So like the bit we're shown that this guy, the big problem that needs fixing is he needs to understand the reality of that ancestral trauma, like you said. And right. so, and by the if, way, things that need fixing, usually that flaw is hurting other things in their life. And they kind of show him not as a, not a has been, but kind of like he's been a while since he's had a hit, you know, right. he kind of, and it, he has relationship issues. He's had self-confidence issues. So that flaw that you're discussing, it, it fractures other pieces of his life. And there are things that need fixing. There's stasis equals death. In stasis his life. equals death. And honestly, they, they try, and this is like another thing we'll get into later that I don't think the movie does a great job of. It's supposed to be a finding purpose journey of self-discovery arc for him, I think. And, they, and, that, and that asshole art dealer starts the scene by saying, who are you, man? That, and that's the big question that we're supposed to be asking about Anthony. And that Anthony is going to learn by the story's end. Um, why, that he's why this, he's broken. That he's right? smart. That he's destined to be the smarter. Yeah. Um, but uh, he's taking all of that into consideration when we're talking about the locket. At 18 minutes, when Anthony is starting to like uh, do some research on Cabrini Green for his exploitational artwork, that he is emotionally, that he's not aware of like the true horrors. He is told, he goes there to learn about Helen and he's like really into the story of Helen. And, he, and, he, and the, the guy, our half man, uh, tells him, <laughs> dude, Burke. it's not about Helen. Yeah, yeah, William, yeah, William Burke. Um, it's not about Helen. It's about the candy man. And he tells him the story of one particular candy man and the violence that this innocent black man at Cabrini Green experienced at the hands of white police. And at that moment, like you see the shift in Anthony's character and all of a sudden he's on a mission to, to he takes the he takes the trauma seriously and he's on a mission to like spread the word about this and about this violence. So I think there's an argument that like that's the lock in for his character. His character is like suddenly realizes that like the problem that needs fixing is that no one knows about this. Um, even though it's not your commercial lock in. No, it's not really it's climatic, there. but it's but that's yeah. like what his character ultimately his character is trying to get everybody to say my name. Right. And his character is like ultimately becomes the a mythical ghost figure that's going to remind people of the of this trauma and this violence and like that's the moment where he locks into that like how i'm showing you my notes it's right there <laughs> what, what 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 minute mark would you say that's at? that's it eight, that's it 20 minutes yeah that's what i thought yeah i think it makes sense too if you break it down like i, I like that lock in yeah, i think same. that works and um honestly because he starts painting the very next scene the fun and game starts right there yeah, it's 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 a slightly more internal lock-in. You know, it's less tangible. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like one of these more intangible lock-ins. It's not. Let's go get this son of a bitch. You know, it's well, not that. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's hard to right. take a. You know, we talk about the easiest scripts to write are the ones you can take a picture of the goal. You know, you can take right, a picture yeah. of the dragon slate. It's harder to take a picture of when the the Candyman 
narrative has been resurrected. You know, it's mm-hmm. is it is it when it's at a local level, a national level, an internet? Is there a movie of the week? What's what's the deal? Uh, when when is it? You know, how far does it go? Is the problem? It's not a problem, but it just makes it harder to track that as an audience. Maybe that's why these movies are so weird because he kind of takes place behind the scenes most of the time. You can't mm-hmm. see it. You know. Well, here's a, here's an operating thesis I have on horror movies. Uh, some of them do have intangible goals, and then the horror is just kind of intruding on the regular life, mm-hmm. and the care and the heroes reacting to them. You know, right. so so I like I, that. I, yeah, I, I I do find that horror movies, especially, sometimes have slightly more. This isn't passive, but passive as in regard to the horror aspects they're not like taking the action to the monster or trying to escape always and certainly the other Candyman movie had that because you, mm-hmm. you you could similarly say that helen so this might be something because i like what you're saying and it's kind of opening my eyes you could similarly say that helen had an intangible goal that gets locked in when her colleagues start mocking her to prove that this is a worthy story to tell mm-hmm. or something and you, mm-hmm. if you track it that way she she doesn't have a late lock-in. She has an early lock-in. Mm, but, yeah. but both stories get interrupted when Candyman starts killing people. Yeah, yeah it's <laughs> so, real. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, so, but if you, if you kind of watch, you know, when I was watching it the second time with these talking points in place to kind of like express, you know, explore them, uh, I was like, oh shit. Like every scene after that is him trying to prove the existence of Candyman and, or the importance of candy, the importance of Candyman. Every single scene, he's like, he goes to the art art critic and says, "If you really want to, you know, tap into like the work, say his name, right? You know, right. and 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 he starts getting more um, combative in a in a in a good way, in a strong way. When people start, when when like the art the art critics start uh, diminishing um, the struggles of the of that community." You know, she, he, he's like, who do you think created the hood? You know, white people. And they, they, they put us here and they left us to die so that they could take over and, and, uh, and live on the cheap until they get a Whole Foods is like what he says. Um, and I never, I didn't really see it that way the first time, but like watching it again, knowing that that's kind of like the big problem that we're presented with this character is he needs to like c- connect with that. Um, it, feel, it felt like a natural lock-in. Yeah. yeah. And to take it full circle, you could even see a log line constructed, especially a cheesy one, you know, after an artist begins to investigate a series of urban legends, things begin to unravel, you know, something you can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he opens the door. To, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, there's a way you can make a slightly, it's not, again, it's not quite as strong of a log line if you're pitching it or something, but you could see that log line. It wouldn't surprise me if that's what imdb is you know mm-hmm. it's like an artist begins to investigate the Candyman urban legend and soon finds that it's more real than he thinks or something you know something yeah and then the midpoint really functions as your traditional midpoint which is raise the stakes um, you know it's like it's real. the moment it's a glimpse of the end mm-hmm. like you know this is what it's building to which is what your traditional midpoint does and that's what happens at the midpoint of this movie he sees himself so yeah it's yep. there yep yeah yeah it's all, yeah it tracks, bingo. It, it, it tracks. tracks, it tracks, it tracks. <laughs> it tracks, man. <laughs> I'm just going to say that's a bingo. <laughs> I Do I have anything here by also saying like lock-ins for the characters can sometimes be separate from lock-ins for the audience? 
Does that make sense to you guys? Yeah, we've like, talked about that before. Like what the lock is in, the definition? In this yeah. movie, the lock-in for me watching it is him saying Candyman. Mm-hmm. I, you I know think, what I mean? I think that's where, um, and this is almost one of those things Jimmy probably wants his clients to hide their ears from. Right. Uh, because what I find is, you know, when I teach students, you know, I taught a class this week. I do try to get them to do really tangible goals and really tangible stakes and, you know, all that stuff, not hard obstacle and stuff like that. But I also recognize that some great movies don't have that. Yeah. Um, we've, we've talked about Rocky or whatever. And I think if it feels like an act break, that's enough for the audience. Mm-hmm. Like they can feel something emotionally. They feel a transition to a new world going from act one to act two, they feel a change in the universe, you know, and sometimes that's enough. It's just harder to pull that off because then you're going to, you're going to battle attention spans a little bit more. Um, But some great movies are made that way. So it's all about execution. Yeah. Agreed. Agree. Yeah. You, and you definitely feel it because like after that moment where he's told that story and his eyes are opened, he starts painting and he says, I've, for the first time in my, like, that's his upside down world. He's like, he's driven. And he's like, for the first time in my life, I finally feel like I know exactly what I'm supposed to do. I mean, there you go. Right. Like, yeah. His, so his, think, and his art finally has meaning. Whereas yeah. before it seemed kind of shallow. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like that was the whole point. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So Jamie, I think you're, you said, if you feel it, that's a good way to, mm-hmm. that's a good way to articulate it. If you it's, feel it. It's and that's, kind of, that's where the that's where the skill comes in, right? Yeah. Not everybody can make you feel right. It, right. <laughs> if you don't do your standard, it's, uh, it's Marty's hard. in the past. Yeah, for for better or worse, it's always harder to finesse something than to brute force it. So, mm-hmm. um, brute, well, not brute forcing it, but but just nailing it. You know, nailing it is much easier than hoping that people get what you're laying down. Uh, <laughs> but if you're a great artist or you know a great writer, doesn't mean that that nailing it is a bad thing at all. I mean, great writers nail it, you know, they nail the, the lock in all the time and it's, it is an easier way to approach things. If you're struggling like with your pacing or your structure, I would highly recommend you try your next script as one that nails the lock in because <laughs> it's, it's easier. It's more instructive. You'll learn a lot. Um, but there are some stories that call for feathering it in, <laughs> finessing it a little bit. Yeah. yeah. And I think uh, speaking of how horror movies handle this, I'm trying to do my transition thing, Jamie. <laughs> we always talk about the three types of horror techniques, which you, I think you should redefine for people. Sure. In this case. Sure. And I, I'm sort of paraphrasing my Stephen King here. Because <laughs> I, I, I never use his words because I never liked his words because he kind of <laughs> uses two words. that get confused. What does he know? Yeah. <laughs> What, what is it he uses? He uses terror and something else. And I use dread instead. Dread. Because yeah. I, I like dread. It sounds different. And judge dread's cool. I can't think of what he uses. He uses, <laughs> yeah, exactly. He uses terror and something very similar in my and mind. Gr- terrors, yeah. He, 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 uh, ter- I think he actually says terror horror. And yeah, it's like, out. yeah, yeah. It's, it's something like that. It's something the two words are very, but so I use dread, which, which again, I, as I describe, is like, when you uh, when you're waiting for that screenwriting contest result, um, and you don't know if you're gonna, you know, you're just waiting for it to be bad, or terror when you actually get the email that says, "No, you lose. 
And you'll um, never work so, in this town again. You'll never work in this town yeah. again. And then the gross out, which I think we all know what that is. That's when you vomit after you the get gore. there. You know, that's you the vomit your getting, computer screen. That's the really good shot of the woman getting her neck slit open mm-hmm. in the art gallery. Like that, that whole effect was amazing. That's the gross out, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. This movie uses all three. Surprising, yeah. Surprisingly, and this is again why I think this feels more like a more modern horror movie. I don't know that it has a ton, ton of dread. Uh, you know, it's it's it it hits you with a terror a lot. Um, there are a lot of good scare beats. You know, we've talked about scare beats and how these days I've been to many a meeting, not just one, not with one studio, with many big time people that you have heard of uh, that count the scare beats. <laughs> they count the scare beats in the script and they say it needs more scare beats. I've been approached to do scare passes on scripts. Um, it's a real thing that exists out there. Don't let anybody tell you it's not. And this one feels like it has the appropriate amount of scare beats. It doesn't feel like it's it's all dread and, you know, like, like again, some Sundance kind of horror movie. Like if you saw The Witch or something like that, it might be more about the dread than the terror. Um, this movie definitely seems to have terror. And it also has a lot of gross outs for a movie like this. Mm-hmm. I think that I think the the thing they they really that really helped that is they had a ticking clock mechanism. And this is a great example of a ticking clock that's not a clock, which is the body heart. Right. He gets stung. And then we're getting an update of that, you know, escalating body horror about every five minutes. I tracked it, but I didn't feel we had so many other things to talk about. There's there's like 15 reminders of the escalation of his body horror as it as it as it gets bigger and he's slowly morphing into like the physical realization of Candyman. I think that really helps the horror pacing because it's like you want you You only rot so much, right? You can only go so far, right? But you want to know, like you want to know like what's happening. Like, is he there yet? Like, what's his arm like? Oh shit. Oh shit. His fingernails are coming off. Oh, it's up. I don't know about you guys, but Part of me was expecting at some point he would just rip his own skin off and like turn into Tony Todd <laughs> or something like that. I was like, is that what's going to I was kind of expecting that. I, I I'm not saying I'm thinking something like that might happen, too. Yeah, like, yeah. Well, he lifted up that one scab and I was like, is his whole uh, just exterior going to be peeled off? Yeah. And underneath so, is the candy man. Yeah. So I think I think they found a way it's like really organic and motivated. And it's, it's really instructive in that way. Like, oh, I need a scare bait. Be, can you find some way that's motivated of something that we constantly need to be reminded of and see? I think right. it was really, really well done. Because it's like, when all else fails, let's go back to the body horror, you know? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I would just say I semi-disagree with you, Jamie. I thought that this movie, the vibe, I felt like constant dread. I felt like no one was safe. Um, maybe that was just cause I didn't kind of know where it was going, but I didn't feel like anyone was, I didn't feel comfortable for anyone at any moment. Bob, do you think that's, you know? we, we didn't, it's not on the talking points, Yeah, but, but another way that this movie, I think one thing I loved about this movie, uh, is that they expanded the mythology, not just from the, you know, the backstory that we'll get into, but they also created new shark fins. Um, you know, when I talked about that uh, horror construction questionnaire exercise, one of one of the things that I try to get uh, do myself and get my clients to do is create um, visual or uh, audio uh, signifiers that your 
horror threat is near or just but like for this, just off skin. The bees for the original movie, obviously. Off, yeah. So so yeah. we already had bees. We already had mirrors. Candy. We already had no candy wasn't really used in the old movies, and that's what I like oh, about. Okay, this how about one. the the um mm-hmm. spray uh, the spray paint? Oh, yeah, the, the the graffiti. The graffiti. Yeah. The graffiti, and then saying his name, just mm-hmm. even in the we talked about in the last movie, in the first movie, just the uttering of his name once, you know, the power of that holds. Like if people keep saying it. Shit's gonna go down, and it doesn't. We like like we saw in the first movie. It doesn't really the ghost logic. It doesn't really follow the rules in the first movie. Like you don't have to be in front of a mirror to conjure him. So we know already that if you say his name, ooh, you're playing with fire. And so we it uses all of those things we already know. Plus it adds candy, right? Like. And they use that. I think I think candy shows up like 10 times in this movie, just like a random piece of candy. All of a sudden we're feeling more dread. And they added the Candyman song, which is a recurring thing. Um, the Candyman, they they turned that, Wonka, yeah, 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 they turned that into like an extension of the Candyman theme. Um, so I think why I agree with you, Bob, that you feel this dread because they use those those well, shark, those shark fins are throw, showing up left and right. Yeah, I think. Also, once I sort of got the idea that, okay, Candyman isn't a, a being as much as a, a rank that several spirits can attain. And so now I'm like, all bets are off. It's not just Daniel Robitaille anymore. It's yeah, whoever has been <laughs> wronged by white supremacy, basically. I was mm-hmm. like, so now I know, yeah. It's coming from every angle mm-hmm. for every character. There's more threats than ever. There's more threats than ever. Yeah. Like the first one feels very singular. Mm-hmm. The first movie, this one, it's just, it feels completely dense in the threat of, you know, also, yeah. And also I think this is way more what's, I don't, I don't like the first movie. I actually understood the whole, is she, is it's, it's asking, is she crazy or is it Candyman? Whereas this. I'm like, I, I don't actually know. There's what no it, ambiguity yeah, as far as. Yeah, yeah like it, it's it's candy, man. And he's coming and he's here <laughs> and he will yeah, kill you. Yeah. yeah no, so. I, I I think you're right. I, I think all that dreads there. Um, I'm trying to think of what I'm more reacting to <laughs> with the dread. I wasn't I trying think, to like say you're wrong. but No, was, no. Yeah. No, I think, wrong. <laughs> no, I think I think you're right. I, I think I was surprised by just how many like horror beats this thing had yeah yeah, the, yeah. The jump scares and, and once jump it delivers scares, on the genre expectations as jimmy so lovingly says what, all the time. once jump scares come it's kind of a tension reliever so then you got to yeah. kind of wind it again and also like i might be making an unfair comparison because it's jordan peele but get out is a movie that the whole first half is only dread there really is no true terror moments so to speak um it's like the whole first half of the movie is just uncomfortable 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 and this movie has so many terror beats so i'm kind of doing this comparison like you know that movie is is more like just a dread machine that then pays off in in terror reaction in the end and this movie just delivers it it keeps coming out you know over and over different ways yeah this is probably a more balanced movie i mean yeah i think it is uh it's a it's it's less weird than we're talking about but, the original Candyman, right? Right. Yeah, I was gonna yeah, say yeah. too. Now this is where us being white guys might be weird saying this, but there's a very uh, when the first uh, when the Candyman in this movie, the set 1977 Candyman, is talked about. 
there's very because we're talking about the three horror techniques what i forget the exact line was says and that's when i saw the true meaning of fear i think that's what is that is that's that what the he line says? yeah that's william, the line william yeah it's very interesting use too right like the at that moment we were supposed to be feeling dread and then eventually terror from Candyman. But it turns, but then the movie turns it on its head and says, no, the actual thing that's scary is for the actual character. And it's the police, the police. Yeah. Yeah. Like White. it's, it's working. Yes. Like, yeah. It's, it's actually like, that's why I thought this movie was so smart. Cause it's, it's actually subverting what yeah. would be the obvious moment of terror. Right. Yeah. It's yeah, and exactly. the moment of terror is not Candyman killing the kid. It's the police brutally murdering Candyman. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's always. Am I making sense here? Yeah. Totally. Yeah, it's hard to talk about because I want to say something. <laughs> I want to say something that sounds stupid from a white guy. Yeah, I'm gonna expand more on that when we get to the half man stuff. Okay. Um, okay. Okay. I agree with you completely. No. No. It's oh, yeah. okay. It's relevant yeah. to this particular part in the in the talking points. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Uh, but I think that I think we can move on from that, right? Like, mm-hmm. unless you guys have something to add. What here's a one more comparing to the original thing that I didn't add to the list. Sure. I was was surprised they didn't go down this route. So when he witnesses the art critics murder, I was surprised they didn't go down the same route as the beginning movie where, you know, the cops think he did it and stuff like that. Um, It was interesting that they didn't go down that route. They didn't increase the stakes on in that way at all they chose to go down a different path especially given how police are kind of an antagonist in this movie yeah they are the big fear yeah so to make yeah. it look like jerks and wrong would be even more um you know because they're it's it, they're the big fear they do horrible things in the beginning the the end it caps off with um cops kind of trying to change the narrative and make you know after right. they did something bad I'm su- I was kind of surprised they didn't go. Was were you surprised they didn't go down that route? And I don't know that it has an effect on the movie at all, except it was just something that I was sure that was the next beat, and then yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that like that's kind of what I liked about the movie too? Like I was expecting that kind of thing, Jamie, and then mm-hmm. no, yep. it's not coming. Yep, that's not yeah. what we're doing. Here. I enjoy that. I enjoy that when I don't know what's happening. No, mm-hmm. yeah, and the back end is really where this movie has its own engine you know like like the front end is very similar to the original in some ways it echoes it it mirrors it no pun intended uh but <laughs> the back the back end is really its own thing where the two split because one goes in a romance beauty and the beast thing and this one goes in a totally different direction so mm-hmm. which uh, brings yeah. us to our next point yeah i was gonna yeah. say uh let me, let me try to transition here with an idea for you guys because uh, next point <laughs> Because I was trying to think, I'm trying to think this is kind of coming to me right now, but in the original movie, our lead is trying to prove she's not crazy and also try to kind of warn her side of her side of like, you know, the academic white side of life about what actually is going on here in this movie while he did have his lock-in and he's woke and he's making his new art that actually means something, I also find it interesting that he ena- he makes the art that enables white people to summon Candyman. 
Mm-hmm. No, it's you know what I mean. Like it's he like actually de- destiny. He gives yeah. them a doorway to actually bring on their own demise by yeah. making a literal mirror on a wall and then explaining what you have to do. Yeah, like yeah, like he's literally like letting it happen. You know, he's forcing it on people. He's not forcing it on people. Not intentionally at first. Yeah. He's yeah. letting them walk into their own death by their ignorance and their privilege. Much different point than what Ellen was doing. You know, she yes. she felt like she was going to like warn people about the truth where he's like, no, 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 I'll set the trap. <laughs> but he's not doing it. He's, not, he's not doing it. He's not doing it voluntarily. But you know what I mean? Yeah. Like he set yeah. a trap up yeah. for people. Yeah. He started <laughs> the cycle again. Right. You know, like he actually we have like, that high level horror movie cycle. But then when you get into the depths of what can right, yeah. means, yeah, it all comes together. Then I'm trying to say that leads into the thought of who is Anthony and in this movie and is he the protagonist? Is he what you guys put a false yeah protagonist? The, the reason that I brought this up is because you don't really like, like I said, I think oh, okay. So I'll, I'll uh, this will we'll we'll get it more into this with the big Anthony reveal, which is next. But I I kind of um uh. If you read all of the the press releases and the IMDb description and the Rotten Tomatoes description and all these things about what the movie is about, they describe it as a rising artist with a mysterious connection to Cabrini Green. However, that's not dramatized, like in the slightest. We don't, he is not like, I have a mysterious connection to Cabrini Green. Um, I, I got to figure that. out what it is. Yeah. No, but like, he's yeah. not, he, the, the story is told to him and he does, we don't, there's right. nothing measurable. It doesn't connect with him. Like, huh, he's not a character who's questioning the reality of his identity that he believes might be different than what he's been told. None of these things are dramatized. And then we, we, we learn very little about his like in, internals, but Midway through the movie, when he starts actually metamorphosizing into Candyman, we start learning all about Brianna. We learn about her past trauma, having a father who was an artist who killed himself and she witnessed it. We learn about she starts to be this character who has all the things in her world that needs fixing. And she starts to take on that like final girl. Now she's a woman, of course, but she starts to take on that final girl um archetypal trope, the trope yeah. figure yeah and she's the one who's being put in into all these horror situations and doing the smart thing right she's always doing the right thing and the smart thing just like your classic laurie strode um and and she's the one who the, the movie climaxes with her working to survive um about 57 minutes in is when she's she's being interviewed by that art gallery person and and the woman interviewing her says you have emerged as a really interesting figure in all of this <laughs> and, and, by, and, and i'd argue by that point jimmy anthony's kind of lost yeah like as far as this character like at this point even we're like well that guy's gone he has nothing left to offer except to, to transform right i mean yeah He's and we're not, we're, not we're not spending time with him no we're not yeah he's yeah, yeah. so so it, it made me think like he's almost to me he feels very much like a like a false protagonist and 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 uh she ends up being like 
the the hero of the story, the how main character. You, yeah. How can you not watch the end of the movie and even think that? Right. The end of the movie right. does not feel like he is the protagonist at right. all. Right. And, right. And that's a that's kind of a game that happens in a lot of a lot of movies. You know, uh, a lot of horror movies: The Shining, The Fly, um, probably a lot of werewolf movies. You know, where somebody's slowly dealing with the curse and they're the protag the whole movie, and then it kind of mm-hmm. switches to whoever. Oh, so you think it's like a pattern of the subgenre? I, th- I think it is a pattern, especially of body horror, um, but also possession horror. I mean, mm-hmm. even Amityville, for, you know, it kind of starts with the guy and then the guy becomes possessed and then the family has to fight the guy, you know? Um, there. So I do think anything that where somebody either has body horror or possession or a curse that turns them into a monster. Um, I think you see this trope. It's interesting for it to show up in Candyman, right? Mm Because Candyman has a Freddy Krueger and that's Candyman. (laughs) Um, So that's why it's kind of a surprise. It's like, oh, uh, they put that in, you know, imagine that that showed up in Freddy Krueger if suddenly- I think, and what you just said, Jamie, I think is why people were disappointed. A lot of people Mm -hmm. were disappointed with this movie is Mm because it does not play the Freddy Krueger game. It actively walks away from it. Right. Right. It totally does for yeah. a purpose, for a reason. Yeah. For a reason. You know. And I, I just thought it was a really like this, uh, this movie, while as, while as Jamie, you said, it follows the beats of the first movie. Um, it does a lot of, un- it makes a lot of unconventional storytelling choices. And this is one that I was, and, but they work. Like, I think it works. That's why yeah. I, I think it works really well. Brianna doesn't um, feel like unfleshed out. Like, no, she is a full character. No, even it's though like she starts we, late. all yeah. of a sudden we start her movie, right? You know what I mean? Once he's gone, once once Anthony is is too far gone, it becomes her movie for like another forty minutes. So, yeah, I liked that about it. And the more like what Jamie says, the more you think about it, that is, it does. It's a working trope. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the fly is that, right? It's Jeff Goldblum's movie until he's gone. Until Gina Davis, yeah. Right, I hadn't yeah. really thought about it being like a pattern of the, the body horror subgenre. What, what's really what's really interesting about that too, because it's something I I kind of like in movies. And curse. I yeah, I can't really think that I've ever done it. I'm trying to think in my screenplays because I'm always talk about it. I mean, to a lesser extent, even Psycho kind of has it. It's Psycho, way. absolutely. Um, uh, it, Psycho does it like twice. You know? like, <laughs> That's why Psycho was revolutionary at the yeah. time, right? Yeah, because no one it, had done that. Well, it's, it starts out with her as the protagonist, and then it switches to him. Then he's kind of not, it's kind of a weird thing. It's a whole strange thing that Psycho does. But anyway, Psycho. Um, the one thing that I find interesting about this movie and in general about that trope and, and analyzing it, I don't even know if it's a trope as much as a technique, but it, we are in Anthony's shoes and we know what he knows when we're, when he's the protagonist. Mm-hmm. And at some point there's a subtle handoff that we, when she goes to the laundromat, we don't 100% know where he is or who's going to fight. It's suddenly there's a handoff of, of whose skin we're in exactly. Yeah. And that, yeah. And it definitely, there is a handoff. There's a baton pass in this movie that happens with that, with that technique. Yeah, the perspective shift. Yeah. The perspective shifts. Yeah. And we've talked about a lot in this show how perspective shift can really make a movie, a story more emotionally like resonant, depending on whose perspective is it you're following. And also, uh, like I think Jamie just said it, where the audience is with the character 
too, right? It's not just about perspective. It's about what I, I forget the term you guys always use, but we're like a, if we're ahead of them or we're with them. Superior position. Superior right. position. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's what I meant. Yeah. Like uh, we're not given superior position up once she's in the in the driver's seat of right. That's her. what I'm trying to yeah, say. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. 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 Um. And that kind of brings us to the the reveal, right? Like the big twist. The it's a twist of the movie, right? Talk talk to me about how you guys feel about this, like in general. Well, I mean, I'm just gonna be honest here. Uh, I didn't, I wasn't able to avoid the twists with social media. I knew it. Um, I I think I it might have even been in an interview, like on a on Tonight Show or something. Somebody said, I, I either I saw Peel say it or I saw. One of the actors say like, "Oh, it's he's the baby from the first movie." So, I I knew that I knew it already. So it was kind of a it killed yeah, it for me. Yeah, I I I liked the twist. I thought yeah, I was, like it. I thought it was a fun thing. I do have a problem with the coincidental nature of the and and I mean you could say that it's fate or whatever, but that wasn't really hinted at. Like like that log line you read hints that it might be fate, like a mysterious connection with right. blah blah blah. But he just goes there randomly for his art, and then it turns out he's the kid who, you know, the most important thing. He is the thing. And it, so I do have a little problem with the coincidence. I got but over it. I was just like, Jamie, yeah, it's kind of fading. Jamie, yeah, yeah. I feel like it's also an echo from the first movie because we've talked. We talked about the fact that Ellen looks like the woman he fell they in love hint with. That she's like, this. She's like a, so. There, an ancestor. There's some Ellen. unspoken, unstructured thing about Candyman pulling people. Right. There's. In some kind of calling calling that that is not shown on screen but it, it apparently is happening for for whatever reason i chalked up the first movie to the dracula mina you know my love mm -hmm, but, right and i just because i've seen that thing before yeah and then in this one um in this one i was i i didn't it didn't bug me but there was okay. a part of me that like i probably if i was writing the script i would have been somehow trying to fix that problem it, it's, it's it's jamie it's so odd that like it wasn't him trying to figure out what happened in the past. Yes. And that's what led him there. It's not that at all. Right, like it right. doesn't, you know, but, but I think he, I think the movie thinks that it is. And that's for me why it like, that's it's why confusing. I talked about, that's yeah. why I talked about the marketing and maybe mm -hmm. the marketing people crafted it this way. So it's more appealing and maybe has not, maybe Nia DaCosta had nothing to do with any of this language, which is very possible. Um, great trailers but, though <laughs> yeah no <laughs> trailers were awesome they, amazing no yeah. but what i'm saying is okay like <laughs> i'm bringing this up because break out your bingo cards <laughs> i see this in amateur scripts all the time okay um okay in that scene we learn five major answers only one of them is a question that anthony and we in the audience are asking the only question we're asking up to this point, this is an hour in when she, when Anthony goes to his mom's and she, she reveals the truth about his birth. The only question we and Anthony are asking is what is Candyman's purpose for him and why specifically him, right? That's all that we're like, what is as far, that he's searching for answers for and we're searching for answers for, but also it's treated Anthony's like, what do you mean? I wasn't born on the South side. What do you mean I was the baby from the story? What do you mean Helen was was actually like a victim of Candyman? Like those are three major things that we are not like no one. It's not 
when I say the phrase, it's not dramatized, like in order to feel something when you're given a, a reveal, we and the characters, or just we at least, need to be asking for these answers so that when they come, we're like, thank God you told me what I was hoping to answer. But I see so often movie story scripts where we're given all these answers that we weren't presented like intrigue about. And so I think I think the reason for me, at least, that it felt like a weightless reveal is that like Anthony was never his birth. I went back and looked his birthplace is mentioned once 13 minutes when the when the when the art dealers like, why don't you tap into your past? And he's like, yeah, I, I, I went I grew up in the south side and the art dealer says, well, the south side is played. And he's like, OK, well, I'll, I'll make paintings about Cabrini Green then. Right. Um, and then 60 minutes later, he's like, what do you mean? I wasn't born on the south side as if we're supposed to be like, holy shit, dude. Um, and so it's just it's a good lesson on what not to do. Like if he if he had been wondering if if he had been on a journey of self-discovery, right, like why, why, what am I what do I have to do with Cabrini Green? then all of this becomes more compelling and, and interesting. And maybe there's a draft of the script. Maybe they shot material. Maybe there's a director's cut where he actually is vocalizing these things and what's behind his efforts to go to Cabrini Green. And he's like, I feel like I have me repressed memories of this place. And God, I feel like now that you're saying it, it feels so odd that it's not there. Right. Yeah. And it's not at all. It's very it's odd. Completely. Yeah. There's nothing measurable from his character's point of view. You, you that can even, he has a connection to Cabrini green. You can even wrap it into like that motivation of, you know, uh, like, generational trauma, right? Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, so yeah. I was thinking right. you could even, yeah. you can even wrap it in there. Pretty, like he didn't, pretty easily. he doesn't remember what happened, but he can feel the echoes of the trauma of his people's past. Right. Everything. You know what I but mean? It's like not, it's, that's not there right. at all. And, yeah, and, but, but, but the, but that reveal specifically that reveal is treated as if it's telling us the answer for those feelings that he doesn't, that, that, that the movie I think is anyway, like, if that was there, all leading to this big reveal, then then that reveal would be like emotionally resonant because finally the character would have his journey of self-discovery fulfilled. Oh my gosh, all this is happening to me and I have felt this mysterious connection to Cabrini Green because I was the baby from the urban legend that Candyman had this higher purpose from, from the start of me being an infant. So I feel like there's got to be like a director's cut where like they they did shoot this stuff because it's so it's such an easy or obvious maybe choice. there's a reason that we we're not picking up one too yeah i don't, yeah. I don't know but i don't know for, for me that wasn't there at all and i think that was like that's like the one thing that keeps this from being like a five star for me um is if he was truly on a journey of self-discovery about figuring out his connection to cabrini green um and and the urban legend and myth that you know what i mean that's that's what i'm i thought it was worth bringing up you know it's um it's not a script thing but also i think maybe execution wise i that scene with his mother i didn't now i the, great performances i'm not saying the performances were bad but i didn't actually realize that that was his mother for a while too 
Mm. Like I, I, yeah, like I, I don't know. Yeah, because there's so little importance placed on their oh, that on relationship. It. Yeah, 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 yeah. We get one scene where she's like, Brianna's like, call your mom, and that was like 30 minutes before he goes to visit her. <laughs> and and also like, just I mean, straight up, she doesn't look old. She looks incredibly great for I don't know how. It really old does. She I was thinking she so looks good. The same. She looks I, the it's same. not. It's not a script thing, but I was like, is that the same actress? Because she looks amazing. Like an incredible. Character. For like thirty years, I, she looks great. <laughs> and I was like, that's his mom. She looks like the same age as him. Yeah. So that while that's not script, that actually does affect the reveal because I was like, wait, yeah. what it was confusing me of what's going yeah. on. Yeah. I was I also you. even for a minute was like, is this supposed to be? some sort of weird out of body conversation some flashback with his mom or something i i don't know so yeah for me i think that movie the the movie is hoping that this is the most like this big huge emotionally resonant culmination of everything like of anthony's journey leading up to this and i think that it's missing something to make us feel what it's intending to it's such a weird choice and su- such an if it is an oversight, I feel like it's, I can't believe Peel would make that oversight. Yeah, no, I don't know about the other two, to, but yeah, you know, we, we have faith in Peel on this show. At least I know we do. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's just an odd oversight. Right. To, to not, you would think that would almost be the jumping off point. Wouldn't you? Right. That's yeah. That's the now, white. Like you said, right Jamie, the that's the, that's the log line. That's what tightens that log line. Well, yeah, feels almost, a mysterious connection to, yeah. It's, it's almost like if I was pitching Candyman too, that would be the big thing. I'd be like, I got something cool here. I just realized it's going to be a, the twist is going to be about he's the kid, you know. And then I would have based everything backward around. engineering. Yeah, yeah. I, that, that's how I, my brain works. But for sure, it's a. I mean, on a side note, completely script unrelated, I pretty much when I found out the character's name was Anthony, I was like, the only reason that you name him Anthony is if he's the baby. Like, there's no other reason. Like, so I was like thinking. Also, that Anthony, he, before Anthony I, Tony, Tony Todd. Come on. Right. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, come on. I mean, well, before it's, it reminded me of Superman in Superman Returns when they have, there's a, their Lois Lane has a kid that, that Clark Kent has a relationship. Okay. Well, there's the only reason you have that relationship if he's, is if he's, Superman's kid. I haven't even seen the movie, saw the trailer. He's right. Superman's kid. Um, <laughs> but that's not script. That's just, uh, yeah. I think the problem is, is that he doesn't have to be the baby. Right. I, I mean, like, it's still, I think the movie still works if he wasn't the baby, unless it does. Once yeah. I'm, unless I'm being dense about something here. Right. Well, yeah. I, I mean, ultimately, they have to fudge a lot of stuff together to make the baby make, be important. Like, well, he burned you and he picked you and he did this and he did that. Where really, if they didn't do any of that, it kind of would have been just the half man, as we'll talk about, uh, Let, doing some kind of master plan. Mm-hmm. Unless it was trying to say, like, no, because Anthony, I, Anthony was supposed, maybe <laughs> this is weird, but Anthony was supposed to become another Candyman back in 1992. Mm hmm. By being burned alive as a as a baby, right? No, and I. He, he's a kind I of avenging that, baby spirit. I, I think that's what it's doing. Yeah, yeah. but it's like, weirdly be saying it. It's not saying there's it. somebody destroyed by violence, and right. that that story right. is going to become the new Candyman of its age. It's right. going to further the the mythos yes. and the narrative. Yeah, <laughs> yes, but they didn't embrace that and tap into that enough. Yeah, or, yeah. Or really, it's, it's not blunt enough. Really, one of the things right. that this whole franchise is not measurable. Yeah, like this franchise is about urban legends and storytelling and narratives. So it's almost like 
that's always the way I kind of use this thing is like, right. they're creating new stories and those mm -hmm. new stories have a weight and they're real and they right. haunt you for the future. The pain um, that they're experiencing. Yeah. But if you yeah. bury those stories, you know, something else happens or, or yep. they need to get out or that. Yep. I can't quite wrap my head around what all of it means, but I'm always viewing it through the storytelling and the narrative kind of lens. I mean, mm -hmm. I mean, I'll be honest with you guys. Like the, one of the things that messed me up, like as far as just thinking about the movie outside of the Anthony thing was I was like, wait a minute. So there was a candy man that was created in 1977, but then in 1992, another candy man is awoken and it's the original candy man, the 1977 one. Why isn't he active in the 1992 story at all? Cause he exists. He, the he was made in 77. Mm -hmm. That spirit existed alongside the, uh, virginia madison years i think it works you know, you, though because once it, it they works. once they once they start telling that there's like lots of candy candy man uh you know figures then it sort of you sort of can imagine a situation where you're haunted by whatever's relevant yeah you're haunted by the relevant candy man yeah i i hear it's an um, odd concept though. yeah i love it though <laughs> yeah I, I hear James Cameron, like the day after this movie came out, walked in and wrote Candyman's dollar sign on the <laughs> Just candy man, Candyman's. Candyman's. <laughs> dollar sign. Candyman, candy dollar man's. sign. I do like how, even though like the end credits were like super beautiful and they showed the trauma through the generations, they yeah, had the hero. They had like the hero shot you see in a superhero movie like Suicide Squad. With all the candy mans lined up walking towards the camera in a silhouette. I was like, <laughs> I was like yeah. that was interestingly, uh interestingly yeah. done. Was, I love it. Yeah, it's like I here's the that. army of candy mans, you know? Yeah. 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 To remind you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh yeah. but that also is I, the reason I brought up the 77 was because that brings us to Burke. Yeah. Which it frames the movie sort of, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. This is yeah. my favorite character in a while. <laughs> I fucking love this character. Oh yeah, he's great. The 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 half man who works at a laundry runs a laundromat, right? Jamie, do you want to describe half man? You're the best at, at conceptualizing these terms. Yeah, yeah, sure. Tools, so, techniques. So half man uh, is in. It came out of Save the Cat Goes to the Movies. Blake Snyder talking about monster in the house movies, and he said a common trope was this character called a half man. The the most uh, half man is usually somebody that has experienced the monster in the past and has some knowledge of how to defeat it or or something. Often has a praise the killer speech, which we've talked about. That's probably another thing. Uh, Quint is a great example. Quint from Jaws is like the best half man. Example. That's where the term comes from. You get bit the half, bites right? Him in half. Yeah. Yeah. right. <laughs> yeah, and oftentimes they do have scars or some kind of injury or just emotional trauma from their experience with the beast. And, so and they are also usually the one they're often the one uh, teaching the thematic lesson. Yes. That's usually coming from the person who is trying, who has experienced the monster and is trying to open the rest of the character's eyes in the story world to the, to the thematic lesson they need to learn. Yeah. Uh, Tony Todd in as the, uh, what is he? The mortician in uh, the yes. final destination movies is another of my favorites. And a perfect, yes. uh, yeah, because Tony Todd, Example. right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Bob, you you articulated earlier exactly what I love about this half man. Yeah. Because we are expecting 
that this guy is going to be um, uh, by fearing, the Candyman, right? fearing the Candyman, mm-hmm. who he, the monster that he is trying to, that he survived and is warning others about is white violence against innocent black people. And white supremacy. Yeah, so spe- yeah. Specifically the police in, in this, is it in this instance? And uh, I thought that was like a perfect premise specific choice. Like, wow. Um, what do you guys think about his plan about his, the act three, when it's, we learn what, what, what's happening? I'm not insulting the movie by saying it is a touch confusing. What, what happens there and what he's trying to do. I actually had to look up like a YouTube explain the ending video to kind of help me through it a little bit. But man, for me, I, I, I understood what he was doing from the start. I'm not trying to like say I'm smart. No, no, it's fine. It didn't confuse me. Did it confuse you, Jamie? I don't think it confused me. I mean, it, uh, some of it's a loose logic, like whether he was, he was actually doing something supernatural or it, it, to me, it felt like he wasn't, he was just kind of uh, almost reenacting the Candyman thing to have similar stuff play out. And there, therefore, maybe I'm wrong about this. I only watched the movie once, so I'm reconstructing it. So then the, <laughs> so then the Candyman urban legend would, would uh, play yeah. out again, you know, or, or would yeah. resurrect yeah. or whatever. Was, What's interesting about him is he's trying to keep it going yeah trying to keep instead going. of stop, he's not trying to stop he's, Candyman. he's trying to like uh, he views Candyman as a protective spirit. as a protective spirit yes. of of innocent black people who right are, right yeah like and, what did they say in the movie like the police aren't trying to keep the danger out they're trying to keep the danger in keep like, us in keep yeah. us in and he views the the opposite force is they're Candyman. the monster in the house they're, yeah they are the, the monster story. right yeah they and are. uh and Candyman's yeah. kind of an avenging angel in his mm-hmm. mind or something. Yes. 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 And and he was so sure that the monsters would strike again that you ever hear the story of Anthony McCoy, the artist who lost his mind and the cops showed up and shot him down in cold blood without even saying a word. He called the cops pretending to be with a white voice um, and said, there's, you know, the say my name killer is here and he's trying to kill people. Yeah. And he was so sure that they would come and inflict violence and kill him in cold blood without him actually attacking them that like he set all this up. And I, and I think it's like thematically for me, it it works very well. Um, And I loved that, that that was his plan. Like I love that the half man is, is kind of assisting the Candyman legend. Like that's something that we completely wouldn't expect from a horror movie when we're watching it. We're used to these characters going like, watch out. Like, you know what I mean? And there he is saying, "Watch out!" But for the from the from the white violence, it's funny when you bring it up. I have a feeling this is a common thing that happens—the half man betrayal. But I can't think of a single one. I just Mm. I just have this feeling. Halloween is a most recent example. The recent one. The recent recent 2018. The Loomis we were we're we're told is actually obsessed with Michael Myers and assisting him. Yeah, I've never really went back through it, but I bet you we could trace because a lot of times they are a little unhinged, but Mm -hmm. almost too much on the one side. So we know there's something Mm -hmm. sneaky or something going on behind them. I bet you we could find a bunch of them, but I can't think of any. You're probably right. Yeah. Yeah, I just had this feeling that's out there. That's out there. Um, 
kind of kind of like the the false protagonist. It's probably something out there. Here's here's another interesting thing about that half man. There's a second half man in this movie. His mom. His mom's a half man, yep. and she functions almost more traditionally like a half man in that she shows up at the midpoint, gives a little speech, talks about the R. It's kind of interesting. She's been to war already. She has. She has. Whereas Burke is like his name. Burke is like already at, he's like in actively fighting for his Mm -hmm. cause. Right. Mm -hmm. Whereas she's, that's the past for her. Yeah. You could see, you could see a different movie where you give that character more heat and she gets more time, yeah. and she becomes a full-on half-man through the movie. Uh, they didn't choose to do that, but you could see where that could kind of play out right. in a movie yeah. like this. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I, I was yeah. going to say... Oh, go ahead, Jamie. No, that's it. I, oh. I like the, I like this unconventional half-man no, with the sneaker. I think it's a cool tool. To, yeah. To He's great, and he delivers on even more of the gross-out body horror, too, right? Like, I feel like that scene of him putting the hook in was oh, brutal. So good. Yeah, it's brutal. But also I was, I'm trying to, I had another thought that I'm not sure is exactly connected to this, but it, I got it while you were talking, Jimmy, when you said the thing about how Burke is subverting us with what the actual monster is. Mm-hmm. Right. And I was trying, I was thinking how this movie is very intelligent and in how it uses uh, the original movie and the um, say his name, say his name five times in a mirror the movie itself i think it was her brianna's brother says white uh, black people don't need to be summoning anything right. and the movie is and the movie is like there's even a cut in the movie where it's like who's dumb enough to actually say this in a mirror five times and it cuts to instantly five white girls in the bathroom right there is one black person in, and she's smart enough and she's to smart get enough out to leave. of there right <laughs> i'm just saying it, it, it's very it's it's very smart in how it uses the actual like mm-hmm. uh technical mythos of Candyman to say like this isn't a problem for black people. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't fool around with this. This is something that arrogant privileged white people would try, right? I don't know. That's it, the surface level. Yeah, the, the surface, surface level. Surface yeah, horror characters and their intelligence. I don't feel like that was in any of the original choices. movies. That yeah, never. No, I agree with you. Like the the actual like saying something in a mirror five times. A lot of people wouldn't fool with that, you know. But transitioning off of what you're saying, yeah. Thematically, thematically, I right. think what they did with the same my name, amazing. It's premise specific, and they gave it like a deeper meaning. It's like it's kind of incredible. Also um, prescient yes is it not yes. i mean say my name i feel like that's right from social media posts is not say their name yeah right yeah but it's so it fits everything it fits that this too right yeah. man was built out of so perfectly mm-hmm. you know it kind of redefines like what's important about you know the story that we learned of daniel robitaille in the first movie it's like a it's a it's a reminder mm-hmm. and uh put placing it in the modern times you know um well, why do why do we want to keep people's names alive who have suffered trauma, so right. that they don't, you know, so that so it's that not it forgotten? Have, yeah, so it's not. Why forgotten. do you say Candyman? You say Candyman is a person who he was. All the Candyman were created through trauma. Right. You keep them. You keep them alive by saying their name, right? Like, right. You keep yeah. their story alive, so we. Remember. And the half man gives us this lesson. He says, "Right, a story like that." After he tells. Um, the original Candyman's mythos, um, he says, a story like that, a pain like that lasts forever. They were all real. 
because Anthony was questioning whether these people were actually real. And he's like, oh, no, they were all real. Candyman is how we deal with the fact that these things happen and that they're still happening. And I think that's essentially what the movie is, is trying to say, you know. <laughs> Did you see I sent I sent Bob and Jamie a screen cap as I was rewatching uh, because there's this great moment when Anthony is showing Brianna when he when he first discovers the story of. Uh, the Candyman from the 70s, that he was like an innocent black man that the cops were accusing of putting razor blades in candy. And it turned out that it wasn't him, but they came and they lynched him and they killed him. And so he made a painting about it. And then he shows it to Brianna and he says, what do you, what do you think? And, and she says, um, it's pretty, it's a pretty literal approach. Not much room for viewer interpretation. Hey, that's the movie though, though right? That's, that's this movie. movie. I, I feel was... like that's Nia DaCosta saying there's, there's, there's nothing confusing about this. I'm saying it. So Jimmy, I just want to add the reason I was, uh, what you're saying right now, the reason I was like trying to type out the one thing that's said in the art museum or the art show is because he literally says, I'm trying to align these moments in time that exist in the same place. The idea is to almost calibrate tragedy into a focused lineage that culminated into the now. The mirror invites you an attempt at summoning yourself. That is that's the description of what the movie at least wants to be or hopes mm -hmm. to be. Yeah. I find that last part interesting. The mayor invites you an attempt at summoning yourself. It's almost saying the three us three white guys right now s sort of reviewing the movie like we're yeah. revealing ourselves by what we see in it. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Like, it, that's it's telling that it's saying that to everyone. You you will be it's trying to reveal who you are by what you see the story, what you see here, what you see the theme as, you know. Man. Yeah. And then, and then a, the, I didn't I never thought about it like that, but yeah, his artwork in the museum is the movie itself. That's it's what I thought was really cool. And then and then the the snot the snobby she says, asshole. She calls white. it didactic. Yeah. She says it's didactic. <laughs> It's got cliches about the ambient violence of gen the gentrification cycle. So, like, she's responding as they kind of expected the white critics to respond to the movie or, like, edgelords or, you know, like, dudes on the Internet. Yeah. Like, it's there. I mean, like, you can absolutely that might be something that actually makes you not like the movie or makes you like it more. But it's there. They're mm -hmm. kind of they, they wrote it out. They actually had mm -hmm. it said, you know, they were having this debate yeah. with themselves when they were discussing well, yeah. Right. Here's the interesting thing I found different than the to do a comparison with the original. Sure. The original is really hard to kind of crack the theme in some way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like we're dancing around it. We don't know. And I think that's something that's changed a little bit in the modern era of filmmaking that is kind of we're now in studio filmmaking territory as opposed to the original was probably this weird Vestron video era of independent, mm -hmm. you know, something. And um, I not that I I, I, you know, my opinion of Save the Cat. I don't think Jordan Peele re reads Save the Cat, but theme stated. Page he five. made a movie about saving a cat, though, James. He did. That's true. That's true. <laughs> but but the studio era puts theme stated in their movies. Uh, mm -hmm. This is almost a uh, a school classroom moment version mm -hmm. of it. It's it's the art dealer, mm -hmm. and um, it is an interesting thing. Movies back then didn't really go all theme stated on us they, they made us work for it a little harder uh movies now they're more stylized i think they feel like we're in movies a little more like we're mm -hmm. kind of the way they're they're presented to us and they do kind of state their themes 
uh, usually on their sleep. Now, whether or not this is exactly the theme, I mean, we could debate. Yeah, maybe, who knows? Maybe it's not uh, because who knows? The flip side, it's this isn't a super easy movie because Anthony's a tragic character. He doesn't necessarily learn a great lesson, so it's hard to track his arc and say it how it relates back to the theme. A little bit more difficult. And then uh, Brianna, if she's the lead, does she arc? What, does she change from the beginning to the end? Does she do something in the end thematically? Well, there there yeah. is a moment where, and we aren't we aren't told what trauma her her father experienced to yes. become suicidal. Yep. yep. But the movie, given what the movie's about, you can kind of put to get make your own, you know, off screen movie about what trauma he experienced and his ancestors experienced that made him feel the way he feels. Yep. Um, and there's a moment in the movie where she hasn't learned the lesson yet. Um, I think that what the movies, her brother said is trying to get her to put on a show mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. display her father's art. And she says, I'm not doing a show of the thing that killed him. And he says, you can't hide everything and hope it'll go away. Right, right. Which, I mean, if you really want to talk about generational trauma, stuff mm -hmm. doesn't stop, right? Uh, yeah, it's not. <laughs> they, yeah, with Candyman or yeah. in the real world, it just yeah. keeps yeah. coming back. And the very last words of the movie are from Tony Todd, tell everyone. Tell so, everyone, And he right. says it to her. So, yep. so yeah, yeah that's, a, that's a good point. So in the end, she becomes somebody that is ready to tell everyone about mm -hmm. what happened and share the trauma as opposed to somebody that buries, buries it. Mm -hmm. I, I think, I don't remember enough, but I think if you go back to our Get Out episode, I think- Our first episode, literally. Very first episode. episode. Don't ask me why, but I think the theme is sort of adjacent to that. Absolutely, I, I agree. I, I remember that was something like, uh speak it it's not this chris was chris was is like allowing himself to be marginalized that's essentially. right and the speak movie up. like bob says is is like putting him in situation after situation that is like begging him mm -hmm. to like not allow himself to be treated this way yes yeah yep so. and it, it really was a uh they're very find, similar. Find your voice or shout it out or speak mm -hmm. it or say my name. You know, I think it's they're all, all there. Yeah. It's very, it's very adjacent. Say their names. Mm -hmm. I yeah. think uh, a lot of what we're talking about right now, too, has is can explain the reaction to this movie, too. Like mm -hmm. the original Candyman is a beloved movie, no doubt, but it does not feel as blunt as this mm -hmm. whatsoever. Mm -hmm. Like, you can't walk out of this movie and not see what it's trying to say. It's, it's impossible. The original, you could probably just say, hey, that was a cool slasher. Yeah. And again, that probably comes back to the POV, right? Right. Well, the outsider's point of view. About a white woman directed by a white man, yeah, you know, the, right? Yeah. I think, yeah. I think to extent, and I, I, I bet this movie gets criticism, but again, I don't think it deserves it. And I'll say that at the end for this reason. I think the original buried and this is why I say it's hard to figure out the theme of the original. It's more subtextual themes. It's more us looking at it and analyzing it for what it is. Where this one, it's it's almost in the text. Mm -hmm. They're they're saying the things. It's 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 inherent. Like it's mm -hmm. it's not hidden. It's just like that quote you pulled or whatever that you said, Jimmy. Um, it's yeah. It, it's hard to misinterpret. Where the original. Mm -hmm maybe because it was a little maybe it had a ton of themes you know what i mean it had a ton of things mm -hmm. going on because it was all in the subtext mm -hmm. of it. it was a little different however the reason i don't think this movie should be criticized 
again, Save the Cat, page five, theme stated. This is how modern movies actually typically do it. Uh, they This is more common than the old way. And I think this one just, maybe it gets criticized, like you said, I, and I'm not saying this is all criticism, but from the edge lord kind of cut. <laughs> well, they, they, they're few. They're calling it like woke garbage or something they, terrible. They don't like, like that, the message know. it has to say. So no, exactly. They're, they're fall, but, and but listen to us talk stupid. about it. We're uncomfortable saying the messages yeah. a little bit, aren't we? Yeah, we We're are. admitting. I it. am. Yeah, as a as a privileged white dude, absolutely. Yeah, yeah we know they're true, but it, and it's uncomfortable yeah. knowing they're true. Yeah. Well, it, it's it. You know, it's difficult to speak. It kind of feels like speaking for somebody else. Yeah, well, I don't want to speak. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Right. Exactly. Um, uh, but you know, I mean, Nia DaCosta, Jordan Peele, they want us to see this movie. Uh, they want us mm -hmm. to have to see this message. Um, and uh, you know, so we're just we're we're trying to uh, keep Candyman alive, much like yeah. t tell others about it. The, the, what you just said, Jamie. The mistake here would be assuming this was made. This wasn't made for everyone to see. It is right. It is. It is. It's not. I don't think. Like I think that some bad people on the internet might say this is only for, you know, a certain demographic. It's not. Yeah. It's and, for everyone. Everyone should hear what it has to say. Yeah. And honestly, from some of the reviews or chatter I saw initially, I tried to stay away from it because I didn't want it to be spoiled too, yeah. before I saw it. Mm -hmm. But I, I kind of worried that maybe, maybe it did go into the the side where it was almost too thematic and too much of a social mm -hmm. movie. But again, the reason it's I not. really really liked it was i thought this was as commercial a commercial r movie as i've seen in recent months uh, and i thought it was really fun to watch uh, I, I just can't believe i saw like two negative reviews of it that literally used the word didactic yeah. when the and then i watched the movie and the critic is literally saying that i'm like are these people not watching the movies they're criticizing anymore i i don't know again i i think that reviewer probably could have written that review before they saw the movie they probably had a, a hammer and were looking for a nail to, right to an yeah. extent agree uh, but it is what it is mm -hmm. uh i think all my points that i wrote uh, we covered earlier so i'm good okay um if, unless you guys have something else you no no i think i think we covered guys we did it we did it. Not yeah. only did we get through Candyman 2012, but we got through the Candyman Candyman episode. Yeah. And I thought we pulled out a lot of instructive stuff yeah. that this does that's different. Yeah. 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 I agree. It, it's okay. like, the, these both of these movies were difficult to talk about. And it's not just because of the themes. It's literally because they're just we they're weird movies. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they're really weird movies. They're, they're not they're, your standard cheeseburger. No, no, man. It's <laughs> Yeah, it's not it's not as easy as talking about Iron Man two or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um do, do we have anything we want to plug? You guys have anything you wanna throw out there? Um, I mean I feel weird after the heavy stuff we talked about plugging, but I do have something sure. happening. Um we have uh uh the Salem Horror Film Fest virtual edition is october 22nd to october 31st and a film i co-wrote and co-produced and bob had a lot to do with as well um what happens next will scare you plays will be available all of those days october 22nd through october 31st at the salem horror film horror fest uh, virtual so check it out cool jamie other than your book being available on Amazon, I, th which, I think that I yeah. think that's about it. I think Comedy of Horrors is is actually playing a festival, but I'm not sure which one. And ah. I'm not sure. I'm not sure it's streaming. I'm not sure it's one of those virtual ones. Gotcha. I think you have to go to it. So, 
you know, I don't want to say go to Arizona or wherever it is. <laughs> um, so I can't remember which one it is, but I think it's playing. I think it's playing like two festivals. So if you see Comedy of Horrors Volume One at a festival near you, just know I directed <laughs> one of those shorts. Go check it out. Hell yeah, I'm excited to see that. Yeah, same. Uh, and I just want. I think I don't reiterate this enough for anyone listening for the first time. If you want to subscribe, please do on whatever whatever, app you use. You got to look it up through Thunder Grunt. And this is a show on the podcast. So subscribe to that. I don't know. It'll probably come up if you type Writer's Blockbusters. But I'm saying make it easy for you. Look up Thunder Grunt. Look up Thunder Grunt. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's everything, guys. We did it. We did it. Awesome. Uh, See you later. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye. Bye. You've just listened to Writer's Blockbusters, a screenwriting podcast featuring two professionals and another guy. Available only on Thundergrunt.